0: descend into the bowels of the earth with us the world's premier spelunking podcast the pod people do you guys want to hear a joke sure yes what's pale naked and slides around on its belly like a grub screaming incessantly danny devito uh actually it's me matisse Rossum. Ben- <laughs> <Awesome. laughs>
1: And we may be the pod people, but I am the mole man, Ben Sheets. Hi, I'm Cleveland Mosier, and it's my birthday, and I can die if I want to.
0: Nice! <laughs> I think that's the smoothest an intro has ever got on this show. <laughs> yeah! Good for us. <clears throat> we did it, boys. Alright, so like see you next week!
1: Many, <laughs> 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 yeah, k- kill it while it's good. Uh, how, many, how many episodes have we done? Like, several hundred? Uh, we finally got a good intro, thank God. About fucking time. <laughs>
0: we are creeping up on our 100th episode here pretty soon sorry just Uh. feels (laughs) (laughs) and you haven't even been doing it as long as we have i know i know I'm, i'm the baby on the show Well, speaking of babies, let's start start talking about uh, our film for this week. This was my choice, and uh, we're going to be talking about the 2005 film The Descent, written and directed by Neil Marshall and starring a fantastic ensemble cast uh, comprised of Shauna McDonald, Natalie Mendoza, Alex Reed, Saskia Mulder, Myanna Burring, and Nora Jane Noon. Before we carry on, can I get an explanation on the baby side? Like, way <laughs> yeah what absolutely not okay, cool. <laughs> moving on sounds good <laughs> the descent is the story of a caving expedition gone horribly wrong as the explorers become trapped and ultimately pursued by a strange breed of predators sounds like a normal friday night for me oh yeah <laughs> 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 insert
2: slide whistle <laughs> so yeah this was your pick uh yes why don't you uh talk a little bit about why you chose the descent
0: okay yeah uh so the descent is personally one of my favorite horror films i think that it uh takes an extremely simple premise we've talked a lot about like how simplicity is best uh a lot of times on the show Sort of a singular location. It's a very vast singular location, but I think that this is also a really excellent example of uh, slow burn storytelling, where the monsters are not necessarily the greatest monster in the film. Also a fucking fantastic example of uh, how to create a sense of claustrophobia in a film. Uh, I think that this, this movie at least always affects me in, like, a very primal way. Uh, I always sort of uh, get swept up in it and the plight of the characters, (laughs) and I think that it is actually a pretty scary movie, too.
2: Yeah, well, the shots they choose for them going through the caves are often dizzying and disorienting intentionally, so Um, I actually heard Neil Marshall talk about how When he was watching the dailies for the sequences they shot, he would go out of his way to make notes of the ones that made him dizzy or uncomfortable or unsettled. And he made sure to emphasize those shots in particular, which works to a great effect, you know, the caves themselves are so disorienting and claustrophobic.
0: This movie has one of my favorite uses of like negative space in cinematography. Like, so much of the movie is just, like, blackness with, like, one corner of the frame illuminated. They shot a lot of this in in a studio. They weren't actually uh, uh, shooting in caves for the most part. But just, like, the seeing some of the sets that they built and the way that they just, like, composite little sections of them into just, like, blackness creates this sense of simultaneously being like too big for your environment and also like way too small the way that it plays with like scale i think is really interesting
1: oh absolutely remember the first time i saw this film uh when i was just a wee lad it's probably in like eighth or ninth grade just uh, you know starting to get into like modern horror movies and uh what a great film and uh, it was years later I watched the behind the scenes and learned that that film was largely shot on, on a set. Yeah. And it blew my mind because the sets are often well lit by flares or flashlights. You see yeah. all the rock formations in, like, rich detail. And this is this is no, like, Star Trek set. <laughs> yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, you believe that you're you're deep in, like, the recesses of these caves. Well, that's the uh, it's thing. such a feat.
0: When you say that a lot of it is well-lit, I would say that it's believably lit. Yes. Because a lot of times you look at films where characters end up underground or in caves, and there's just kind of, like, an ambient light that doesn't really have a source, but, like, you can see the whole interior of the cavern and stuff like that, and— This movie is, like, the sources of light are the women's flashlights or their headlamps or flares or glow sticks. Always
1: attached to the people.
0: Right, exactly. It's, like, they are the sources of light. If something happens to them, then the light goes out, you know? And I think that that is a really great way of making you feel the same danger that they feel, because you also don't want to be left alone in the dark. So, like, you're really hoping for them to make it out so that you are not, like, stranded deep beneath the earth in the and, and blackness.
1: And for cinematography, too. Like, having all, like, the ladies' lanterns and headlights and flashlights, like, like always moving around is going to make for a real uh, uh, challenge. All right,
0: we're, we're back. I don't remember what we were talking about. We had to take a break. To play with a baby. Oh yes. Uh, oh yes. <laughs> that that took instant priority. Yes. Um. But <laughs> I think I remember. Okay. Um, get us I was, back on track, uh, I was talking
1: about uh, how much uh, I was just. I think I was adding to your point about how much of a feat the the lighting is in this oh, film, yeah. and how much of a challenge I, I you can only believe it would have been to shoot. Uh, lots of red lights from flares, and they tended to actually use flares to light the scenes. It it would seem. I'd I'd love to know like what sort of like lighting rigs they were using like off camera to simulate that for control in certain sequences
2: well one interesting part of that as well is at a certain point you know the group gets split up Mm -hmm. and with all the darkness it'd be super easy to not know who you're looking at but the way they do it is they have each of them have their own kind of color palette with the flare versus the torchlight versus the glow stick, versus, you know, even the camera has its own...
0: I yeah, mean, the aesthetic
2: to an extent.
0: That's a fantastic point. And like the color palette in this movie in general is one of my favorite things. Is that, like you said, they don't make the lighting homogenous throughout the film. Even the flares are different colors. Like you have like orange flares and then like red flares, and the glow sticks are green. And then you know, at one point they they one of them makes a torch, so you've got like this this orange yellow light as well. And yeah, it becomes very... Very, very helpful in keeping track of who is who once they've all become separated because the movie is so disorienting and you have such a hard time keeping track of anybody's location that, like, those color hints are a very clever way around that because it would be easy for this movie to just become completely incomprehensible at times. Well,
2: and that's the thing, too, you know, they're all in helmets in darkness, it's hard to make out faces all the, the time. Um, so they do it really cleverly. And I think the other thing that works in its favor is uh, the sound design in this film. Yeah, In general, the sound design is what carries a lot of this film, I would argue, um, just because everything is so dark that you need the sound to contextualize things and to really add to the environment. There's so many great sounds between you know the monsters or the blood splatters
0: or the dripping you know, the- of the water in the caves the way that sound gets kind of lost and echoes strangely especially like once they get split up sound behaves weirdly underground and you might think that something's coming from behind you when it's actually coming from ahead of you and the way that they do that just adds to the the whole overall disorienting effect that also makes it way, way fucking scarier, too, especially once the monsters show up. The first time I saw this movie, like, I had always seen the previews and, like, I knew that it was about, you know, like, mole people underground, like, attacking these spelunkers, but... I didn't realize until the first time I saw it like how long it is before the monsters actually show up. That's in that's a point that I'm
2: really interested to delve in a little deeper on. Uh, you know, I think the claustrophobia of them being trapped in and not knowing the exit and not knowing if there is an exit is so horrifying that even though the, the monster stuff is done really well, it almost feels superfluous to an secondary. extent. You know, secondary yeah. All that stuff is handled really well, but it's not the thing I find scariest in this movie.
0: It's a way to raise the stakes. But yes. I don't I don't think it's what it's what the movie is really about. That's why when I said earlier that like the real monster of the movie is not the monsters, it's the environment. It's the cave.
1: I forgot how much underwater stands on the shoulders of this movie for a lot of yeah. the same reasons because <laughs> yeah. like underwater primarily deals with like water pressure as being the primary villain first and then the underwater alien monsters second so i i like that that comparison between the two this movie has its fingerprints on a lot of media one that i think is very worth bringing up too is my favorite shot in the film it was so vivid in my memory the first time i watched it and that's uh the reveal of the underground dwellers the Nosferatu. The Nosferatlets or whatever you want to call them. and I think um, they're
0: called, uh, in the context of the movie, I think they're called the Crawlers. I, I like that. I, I just call them mole people. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, either or.
1: Yeah. I love the shot where they have the little digital camera recorder and we get that first reveal of them through the, the night vision
0: yeah. lens. and Almost feels found footage, kind of. Right. Or Outlast.
1: Yes. Like that shot looks right out of like all of the, um, like even the the marketing imagery for Outlast and like horror video games. There's a lot of like almost video game elements, yeah. I think, with this film. Well, There's the, a lot of like like seeking around like a location and being that like. That shot is you know, really a classic. Survival shot. Horror. You know, mm-hmm. it's. You could point at
2: like Quarantine and Wreck for doing very similar shots um, in the same manner, even with the green infrared stuff. And I think it's. Seen repeated so often is because it, it works so well. Yeah. Um, and this movie is a great example of
0: it. I mean it becomes a, a fantastic tool for like the characters finding their way around or you know one of the characters particularly using the camera a- as her eyes because it's so dark down there and like using the night vision to be able to see. Uh, I think that that's really spooky uh, and I mean what like what a reveal of, of, of a shot when you f- see the, the, the first of the monsters I mean I guess it's not really the first time you see them in the movie but it's the first time you you see them in their in their slimy glory. Yeah, it's the first time you see them clearly. Yeah, um, I love slimy how they they, are. they build
2: them up. You know, you see glimpses.
0: Oh my god, from
2: distances through the caves.
0: We're talking about favorite shots. Uh, probably mine is relatively early in the movie when they first get into the caves. Get into the caves proper, not like when they're descending down like the waterfall. When they get into like the first big chasm, and one of them like pops the flare, and it's that wide shot and you see just like a figure off to the side standing and you think that it's one of them at first and then it like sits down and you can see that it's got kind of like pointed ears that shot is so uh, so spooky to one me. Because they hide them in
1: the background like throughout the, the film yeah. and there's, yeah. there's several times like throughout the film where you'll miss them. Yeah. Um, And you won't even know that you're looking at them. One of my favorite shots is
2: one of the characters is looking down the caves and they see a figure. Yeah. And it crawls off. And it's such a wide shot that it's so far down the cave that you can't really make out what exactly it is. And it even plays into the story that she knows she saw some something. She thinks it's a person. Yeah, they're trapped down in the
0: cave and they think that, oh, there's somebody down here who can help us. Yeah, It's like, no. No,
2: there is not. (laughs) Um, I also love the way they move they crawl around almost like a komodo dragon. Yeah,
0: it, at times it feels like their movement is almost like stop motion, kind of like sort. Of, it has kind of like this jerkiness to it that yeah. I really that I really like.
1: There are a few sequences where they, especially during combat, where they drop the frame rate. You can see that the frame rates dropped on the actors as well uh, in a couple of a couple of sequences, and I wish like they could have limited it to only the the creatures so we would have really brought that that home but no i do love like the way that they move and they got great actors to to play them and their makeup is so rich like some of those close up shots where you can see like the i
0: like, always just... forget how good the makeup like, is in this movie until you get some of those like, close ups such rich
1: biology like their like the way that their mouths like open and like even down to like their eyes and the way that like they're sort of uh what's what's the term but they have like it's like fish. It's like fish eyes or like crocodile eyes. Like yeah. they're they're kind of milky on the sides. Yeah,
2: and then- they have uh, colored contacts in as well, which helps. Well, um,
0: yeah, you get the you get the impression that their eyes are are starting to become vestigial yeah. after yeah. after generations of evolution cuz they're blind. Mm-hmm. So it's like you they they kind of have like small eyes that are almost like closed up sort of. Man, they're so gross too. Like some of those close-ups where they get like right up in the faces of of the women is like just really really nightmarish.
2: One of the other things I like with the monsters and when we see action with them. I was listening to a little bit of the commentary And uh, Neil Marshall, in particular, was talking about how for a lot of the fight scenes, they did very minimal choreography because they wanted it to feel as raw and messy as possible. Yeah. And it really does. It feels very...
0: Haphazard.
2: Yes, haphazard and messy and... Yeah, unexpected, Brutal, yeah. yeah.
0: And also, like, I think they do a good job of making, like, the creatures believably beatable, too. Like, they ha- they have sort of, like, a home field advantage, but, you know, like, they do scrap with them. Like, they're not just completely overwhelmed by the monsters, you know? The fights are very chaotic and and sort of like tooth and nail it's it's hard for me to pick
1: like specific aspects of the film to to gush about visually it's just it's such a feast i'm having trouble like keying into anything specific to really well here's a question i have
2: for both of you we all have seen this movie several times at this Mm -hmm. point you guys probably saw this movie much earlier than i did do you think this movie has aged well
1: I i do i do i think it's it's very clear it's I don't use the word dated because I don't I don't think that this movie is like held back by when it was made. And there are a lot of films like from this time that I think do not hold up very well. You can identify when this film was made largely by the color grading, especially early outdoor
0: stuff before they really get into the cave. The setup leading
1: into the cave. It's it's so like color graded with that, like early aughts, like blues, uh, like those, those blue colors, like the trees just look blue. Anything that is, that is naturally gray in those scenes has been color corrected to be blue. Uh, I don't think it's to the film's detriment. I think it's just a product of the time it was in and it does fit the theme and feel. Like our, our protagonist is in a time of suffering, yeah, like and, and in, in, in remorse. So like the enriched blue colors sort of gives us like a, a sense of like their perspective and how they're perceiving the world, not necessarily how the world actually is. So there's plenty of context for it, and it doesn't feel just like it was stylistically slapped onto the film because of the time it was made. So in that respect, no, I think that the style of cameras that they used to look fine. if I had any nitpicks about the film, or did you want to say anything else about like the film's like age? Well, I think it's aged very
2: well. I think so too. Um, it has a timelessness to it where like outside of you know a few tertiary things like the camcorder that they use even some of the cabin stuff you really can't place this movie besides that
0: i would say it dates itself only in like the level of technology that they have available to them and like their clothes a little bit like just their their styles like the the one irish girl holly you know she has like a very like 2000s haircut but other than that Uh, I think that, like, the story and the horror is timeless. I do not think that that has aged poorly at all. Uh,
1: When it comes to the story, actually, I do have, like, one very small nitpick. I think you guys are probably going to disagree, and I think that there's plenty of validity to it. But get um, ready to
0: be dogpiled, man. Oh, yeah, I'm prepared.
1: I'm prepared. I'm ready to fight. Um, uh, No, no, it's just... I would have liked to have gotten to know the characters a little bit more beforehand. I think Annihilation does this very well. You don't necessarily need more screen time to get to know these characters. And the movie does make plenty of attempts to insert backstory for these characters in dialogue. We learned that like uh, for instance the the Irish character that she um, was like climbing a cathedral and got caught at one point. We know that she's sort of a renegade. That's she's sort an of an
0: adrenaline her. junkie. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's she, her thing. She's reckless.
1: Yes. We know that about her and each of the characters get their little moments like that. But I never felt like as much of an attachment to these characters as I did as like some of comparably uh some of like the, the protagonists in Annihilation, for instance. I just adore or like how that film gives us just these little these like brief moments just to let us know like this character was in an abusive relationship this character lost someone this character has cancer and like what these things mean for them and it's enough for us to like sympathize with them just just a little bit because in this film I don't I just see them as like I saw them largely as strangers throughout the film so like their deaths didn't mean as much like didn't have as much like personal impact to me I felt like they have a lot of gratuitous impact and they're very powerful and shocking but uh, when it comes to, like, feeling for these characters, they make several decisions that are also, like, reprehensible, and it's with intent. It's not the usual, like, don't go down that hallway kind of bullshit. For instance, when, um you know, we, we learn that uh, – I, I can't remember her name, but the, the person who planned the party uh, or planned the expedition um, – uh, Juno. Juno specifically picked out, like, this cave that no one had explored before – Deserves to die. She's just killed her friends, like in doing something that reckless. Well, I
0: mean, and she literally kills one of them on accident later. Yes, I mean she's, and it's all thematic. If like, like if this if this film has a human villain, it's her mm-hmm. for sure. And I think that you're supposed to feel that way towards her. I agree. Uh, so I, I
1: agree as well. The problem is that the friend that she kills, I haven't had an opportunity to feel for. I haven't had an opportunity to like.
2: I kind of like the ambiguity because you know she is seen as a villain in some respects in you know that she brought them to the cave And she accidentally killed one of them. But only a scene or two later, she's the hero. You know, she saves the others by killing a couple of the crawlers. Right. You know,
1: there's an ambiguity to it that I really appreciate. At least a human realism. Well, um, I agree. Like, there's always intent behind her character. And she is very believable. I I, I definitely agree with that. Like, her, her rationale for bringing them to that location is, it's very selfish, but it's very human like well, it's, that's you the know, thing. like, like yeah. they want she wants to have them all come together and like discover this location like selfish from her is
0: selfish is kind of like her core character trait and in the movie it is
1: human and it is flawed but uh, She's not evil. Like, and her character is probably one of the most fleshed out. The rest, less so. I, I felt like they were almost more just like cannon fodder. Like, well, like,
0: I think in a way, I think in a way, they kind of are. Like the the movie is really, or the story rather, is really hinged on the tension between Juno and Sarah, our protagonist. because mm-hmm. they they have conflicting motivations. Yes. And and so a lot of the character drama comes from how they clash, because we see at the very beginning of the film the car accident that kills Sarah's husband and child. And so, like, the rest of the group, when they get together to do, you know, this, this spelunking tour, they think they're going to, like, an easy cave, you know, this is supposed to be, like, good for them, you know, they always go on these adventures together, but it's supposed to be easy, it's supposed to be fun, it's supposed to, like, help Sarah kind of, like, come back to, you know, the real world and work through her grief, whereas Juno selfishly wants to be sort sort of a hero, wants wants glory, wants them to discover a, a new cave system, you know, so she doesn't really have Sarah's best interests at heart.
1: We also get a really nice piece of backstory, circumstantial narrative. Did y'all get the impression that Juno wa- had an affair with our, our protagonist's husband? Interesting. Because there's a scene mm-hmm. where someone says to Juno, you know, she lost a lot in that accident and Juno says she's not the only she one who She says we lost all lost something. something
0: in that accident. Right,
1: which, that's the that's, context clue that I get out of that. That's interesting. Is that they were having an affair. I, I,
2: I, I could be wrong, but... Interesting, that's not exactly what, how what I What were y'all thinking it? that was? I read it as Sarah's not the same after that. Oh, that she you just know, lost that, a friend. You know? Yeah,
1: that yeah. they, that... Yeah. Interesting, I like the ambiguity um, there.
0: I kind of read it... In a similar way, but also that that's more of her being selfish and making it about her. It's like it was a well. Either way, that's the case. Yeah, right. Like it was, it was traumatic for all of us. It's like, well, bitch, no, you're not the one who lost uh, a husband and a child. But it's like, say, like, uh, why is she the only one who gets to mope? We all lost something, you know. Like that's kind of how I read it. I, I think you make a really
2: interesting point with the characterization stuff. Um, It's definitely worth unpacking. I don't know if I really completely agree. I think this movie is very. Economical in how it sets up characters, and a lot of character development is through actions within the cave, which I really appreciate. They do the classic almost trope of starting the film with a very loaded emotional scene. You know, with the death of Sarah's fiance in a reminiscent way to something like Midsummer, where yeah. like it has such an emotionally loaded scene that it colors a lot of the rest of the movie. And that um, the character goes and, into a traumatizing but,
0: event already traumatized. But the
2: interesting part of it is this loaded scene makes it seem like it's going to be very Sarah centric. Once they get in the caves, it's about all of them and in that respect i i kind of agree with you Cleve. that like the characters can feel a little underdeveloped because they're all given a little too much focus rather than you know giving specifically juno and sarah more focus but i don't think that's too much of a problem overall because a lot of the character development does happen organically in the case in seeing who is skilled at certain things, who's adept at certain things, and so on.
1: I think you're very right. It is a very subjective point. It's personal. Like, we know, like, what I would want out of the movie. A key point for me to bring up actually is associated with Sarah, and that is her traumatic event is one of the first things that we see for her. We only get a brief moment with her and her fiancé, like, out hiking before The event. You get the white water rafting too. Right. We see her like happy, but we don't get to know who she is before this event.
0: I don't think that that's what it's about. I don't think that w- her life before this matters in the context of the story. I, I don't th- think I would like that exposition. No, either. I don't think so either. I actually like that it starts with that like traumatic event. It's like, okay, yeah, we don't get to know her family, but I don't think we really need to you don't you we don't need. We don't need to, to like, see who she was before to know that she is irreparably damaged by seeing her husband and young daughter die horribly. It's a structural thing in the
2: same way as Midsummer in a lot of ways, you know? Like, we don't want to know the family that dies, you know? It's loaded because it's subjective through the character who's being traumatized, which in this case it's Sarah. Less so about the, the relationship itself, but more about how it affects her.
0: I agree. I mean, I don't think you're wrong, Cleveland. Like, there are definitely a couple of the characters, two in particular, who are pretty underdeveloped. I think that largely they do just kind of serve a purpose of, like, bodies that, you know, people that need to die. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that Juno and Sarah get a great amount of, of character work. And even, like, Rebecca and Holly, I feel like I know those characters, too. Like, we get a lot about Holly being The adrenaline junkie, the risk taker. She's the one, you know, she runs off at one point recklessly because she thinks she sees daylight and falls into a hole and breaks her leg, which is really where like the stakes start to increase exponentially yeah. you know yeah. cuz the the cave in has already happened they're already trapped and then one of one of their party has crippled herself and rebecca really like once the cave in happens really steps up and sort of like takes charge she's the one who climbs across that that chasm and like plants the pythons so they can all go across like she's the level-headed one the survivalist who's like we have to do such and such we have to do this and this and this if we're gonna get out of here like she's the one who while the rest of them are panicking is like sort of the steady center and like i feel like i know all of those characters the other two a little bit less but I don't hate it because I have four characters that I know and care about. In a horror movie, a couple people just need to be there to die. They just do, you know? Yeah.
1: That's a pretty nice, like, way to sum that up. And I think those are—all those all, all those points make sense to me.
2: There's not a ton left that I really want to talk about. One big thing, of course, is the ending— Um,
0: But if there's anything else you guys want to cover
2: before then?
0: Well, actually, uh, yeah, I think that what I want to talk about transitions into the ending very well, and that is Sarah's uh, continued dreams and hallucinations throughout the film. Yeah. I really like those sequences. I I don't know how y'all feel about them. Deft.
1: They're very subtle. They're very, you know, lightly put in, and I appreciated that. I
0: feel like they're beautifully abstract, which is what I would want from, like, dreams and hallucinations, but also, like, thematically very relevant. I love the first one, like, after the accident where she wakes up in the hospital and gets out of bed and, like, walks into the hall and, like, the lights start going out one by one and she's like running down the hall away from this like encroaching blackness then runs into her friend and kind of like wakes up and is just like screaming and weeping in the hallway i think that's just like for something that's in like the first five minutes of the movie i think it sets the tone really well and is also like really excellent foreshadowing like being followed by that blackness all of her hallucinations and dreams throughout the rest of the movie have that commonality of, like, the deep darkness.
2: One yeah. thing I really would say about the dreams is I feel like they're really the heart of the story of the film. You know, in such a plot-centric film, to have those almost interludes as breasts mm-hmm. within the movie really helps develop the character of sarah
0: they feel almost like chapter headers
2: yeah i would agree
0: absolutely and And how and the way that they develop like how there's a certain degree of repetition but how they change to sort of reflect what's happening throughout the movie like a a, a, shifting pattern one that she continues to see is like her daughter holding a birthday cake just which is a really nice image just like totally dark with just illuminated by the, the single candle on the birthday cake and the way that we see that a couple of times and then at one point we see it again but then her daughter has the face of one of the crawlers oh, that was fucking awesome mm-hmm. yeah
1: cause uh, you know I, I think that the ever present like metaphor of this film is you know she, she's also we're also diving deep into like the caverns of her mind yes. <laughs> you know like it's it's you know an exploration of the dark depths you know that, that hide her and, dante's
0: and... descent mm-hmm. to hell mm-hmm.
1: yeah when we're playing with light to use that birthday cake to use that candle that represents like that that one piece of like hope almost that she has you know the it's, one it's light, light in the
0: darkness right and
1: mm-hmm. it's not a and it's it's not a real light you know it's it's something that she's she's just perceiving like from her past to hope for and that it doesn't exist anymore. and that like that the rest gone. of
0: and that the rest of the memory does not exist around it that it's a singular thing in a void it is literally the one thing that she like keeps holding on to that she can't let go of mm-hmm. i do have one very minor gripe with this movie that every time i watch it still frustrates me a little bit and it's so fucking nitpicky y'all might think that it's silly but world building is very important to me and I think that there's one thing in the movie that is an example of inconsistent and kind of bad world building and I think that that is the one female crawler that we see when Sarah fights her in the blood pit (laughs) that is uh, that is like i mean vi- like it's it's cool visually but in a movie that has felt like so grounded in like reality for the most part and like real fears and stuff like that 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 sequence just always like it disconnects me from it.
1: Yeah, because like the the crawlers are already so they they almost feel like relatively like genderless. They're very thin and frail and, and
0: hairless and
1: hairless. Like they they already like I, I didn't really un- understand why they needed to like yeah incorporate like gender between my the two. point exactly. Like they, I think that they, it's almost creepier if they're just like a singular like amalgam well, or whatever, and you can't tell the difference. Because like, especially that's like fine.
0: The, the female one is the only one that has hair and just right, like like ev- why just like evolutionarily like that would j- it just like they're all bald and like you said they're kind of like homogenous yeah. and sexless like, like they're all
1: the characters look a feat they, they all look yeah they're um, night
0: crawlers. Them. they're creatures you know to just like have so much of this like crazy visceral horror and then to find like this one monster that has like a wig on I also have a problem with the pool of blood like it's cool it's cool visually oh, I love the pool of blood but also like where's all where did all that blood come from where, the, the where
2: thing, thing about the pool blood of blood, blood especially i don't mind it as much because i feel like the movie already escalates to something beyond reality when we first see the the crawlers close up sure and you know i i agree to an extent that like the first time i saw this and even now to an extent when you see the crawlers up close it divides the realism of the movie a little bit, especially so when it gets to the blood scene. But like, for me, that divide happens when you first see the crawlers close up. So by the time you see the the blood pool, I buy it more, just because it's it's already gone to a left turn over the top, not necessarily over the top, but more... Unreal. Yeah, sure. Disconnected I mean, place. We, we incorporated
0: don't... monsters
1: into an otherwise... Do we like... see any of the other characters in that sequence? Like, To Do With The Pool of Blood, or is it just Sarah? No, I
0: think it's just cool. Sarah. Well,
1: I think, I think then there's justification you for it. You could
0: argue that maybe it's a hallucination? Well,
1: or at least it's hyperbolized. Like, we're seeing it from her perspective, and she's she's being just, like, drowned and, like, soused in blood. She's just sort of becoming, like, her her most basic primal self at this point, because she's been so, like like, tragically reduced, that, like, all that is left is the primal, much like the creatures. Like, we've just been brought down to, like, this, like, proto-human level, like, like by the end of it, and I, I love that, like, that just that narrowing of, like, the spotlight, like, on our humanity, and we see it, like, all of the, the characters, like, slowly give away their humanity as well, you know, either by, like, turning against each other, or, you know, b- via, like, whatever means, and in their panic and fear, they become these fight-or-flight creatures just like them. They never... I don't think they ever say it, but you get a vibe that the creatures were originally once those miners.
0: Oh no, I think they've been there a lot longer. I think they killed the miners. I
1: I love that we don't know though, like that it could have been that. I think you're probably. I mean, like, okay, scientifically, like it makes a lot more sense if they were there before the miners. Yeah, like because
0: then if, that's they not time, were, if they were um, the miners, then it adds an element of the supernatural, which. Convolutes the story more than than I or, or at least pseudo pseudo science. But I think but- there's
2: ambiguity to it in a, in a respect because the the monsters, the crawlers, are already beyond reality in a strictly realism sense. You know, like
0: I kind of. I kind of disagree. I mean, one of the first things we see after the cave-in uh, is they find that old cave painting of the mountain, and they see that, okay, we know that there's a second exit to this cave. I did really like that
2: world-building
0: I And I like that, and that means that it, people mm-hmm. have been in these caves Before for thousands of years. Yeah. So I think it's not hard to believe that a tribe of people maybe ended up trapped in the cave or just, you know, lived in the caves for so long that they started to evolve to suit the caves. And that's how the crawlers are like an offshoot of humanity. The mine, like the, the miners or the explorers, like that, they find the old helmet and like the old pythons and stuff. It's like, I just got the impression that that's why the cave has never been named before because they went in there to explore it and, a similar thing happened. They got killed by the crawlers. Yeah, I would agree with that. One interesting bit that
2: I I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on is when they find the the animal carcass above ground. Is that... From the crawlers, or is that just red hair? I think herring? so.
0: I got, especially when they find all of the bones, like, where the crawlers have been, like, eating.
1: We also hear her, like, audibly deduce that, like, the crawlers go to the surface to hunt.
0: Yeah, that's that's the yeah. impression that I got, too. That, that they at night they go above ground which is uh, cool
1: like almost all of like the the lore and exposition to the crawlers is speculative from our main characters like which is which is quite nice that about does it for me um let's
0: talk about the ending really quick because i think it's a bit of a bleak ending i think it's incredibly bleak yeah but suitably i would not want i don't think I'd really want this film to have a happy ending.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot to say about it. What I love about it is and y'all are going to hate me for this pun, but I I, I, do, I do think it's the best way to say this and that is like as an audience we get to have our cake and eat it too.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: because um, uh, you know, we see her you know, to, to kind of explain the ending briefly, like, we, we see her escape the cave through the second exit that Which was written in the cave painting, or in and of itself, illustrated in the cave painting. In
0: and of itself, like, an incredibly emotional scene. It's like a birth crawling up this this mountain of bones to, like, this single ray of daylight that is, like, the first time we've seen daylight in, like, well over an hour for the movie. And then to, like, literally sort of be birthed from, uh, from the earth
1: like a like primordial being yeah. you know coming up out of the soup like it's so it's covered cool in for blood that. Mm-hmm.
0: and mud and grime and shit and I, I
1: love like her reaction is so genuine when she finds her car and like she's driving on the side of the road like it it all like feels like like a like she's escaped from this like you you really believe it like in her eyes like there's just this wild look and uh it's it's so it's so like beautifully refreshing and of course then she she parks by the side of the road and just takes that moment to breathe when a truck pulls by hits the horn and we're back in the cave
0: well, and we she turns to the right and sees juno dead in the car next to her
1: right okay yeah i yeah. forgot about that and then she's suddenly back in the cave and we have the birthday cake and her and her daughter, and she blows it out.
0: Well, no, it, it pulls back, and we see that the ke- that it's not the cake, that it's her torch, Arch. and that she's just staring into it like we know that she's seeing her daughter as the sounds of the creatures getting closer like becomes louder and then cuts to credits. I love the ending. Here's, I love the ending.
1: Here's why I think it's so great, and it, it is borderline A terrible ending. Like, if if they had just tweaked a thing or two, like, this movie would have, like, I would have hated this ending. Any little changes would have been nightmarish. Do you have an example of how they could have changed it to make it bad? um, Yeah, like, uh, not including the birthday cake would have done it for me. I I would have hated it. I think you're right. Like, if she'd looked over, seen her dead friend, and then just been back in the cave... like That wouldn't have been enough. I would would have been annoyed. And uh, the reason I love it is we get so many other sequences throughout the film where she can't distinguish reality, the hospital being, like, the Mm -hmm. best one, and, like, she already feels like she's descending into the cave. And because of that, we still do not know which is the true ending. We do not know if she is still back in the monster cave, or if she did make it out. Because here, here's, here's my argument for her still having made it out, and why I think that that is a very, like, reasonable, like, ending. She did get out, the truck goes by, and she's brought into a traumatic state. And her traumatic state is represented by the cave. Even though she has left the cave, she will never leave the cave. And I... Uh, I think that that's, that's cool. Like she, she still makes it out and the cave is just where she will always be because she out now has like this horrible, like post-traumatic stress over it. And she's, she will always be constantly brought back to that place. And it's a place that we all have and that we can all associate with. So I, I love that. There is an equal argument to be made for the fact that she is trapped in the cave and she's just imagining herself leaving. But I, I think it's more interesting to think that she does make it out. We should emphasize that The Descent 2 does not exist. Fuck that. Yeah, yeah no. Get we out of here. Don't I don't believe in it. Get out of here with that, that I, shit. Well, like, 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 why stand, would you ever like put anything... Like, mm, in a standalone like a respect, movie.
2: I very much agree with the ambiguity that you're talking about. I think it's a really clever way they approached it, and I think you make a really good point in that. You know, even if she escaped, she's not really escaping the trauma. And I think that kind of bookends with the beginning of the film really well. Um, You know, especially with the the trauma that she experienced there.
1: and It's because it could actually go either way that I love that ending because I would have felt cheated if they had just they had just shown me that, like, she made it out and then, oh, wait, no, she's back in the cave. She imagined all of that. I would have been pissed. Like, if if that was the only, like, way to interpret that ending, I would have been frustrated by it. It's a cheap bait-and-switch, then, and that's that's all it is. Thank God it's more than that.
0: Honestly, that's the only way that I've ever interpreted the film. I didn't really think about it the other way until you just said that. I think, for me, that—I think she still is in—literally in the cave— But I think that that is actually a really interesting read of it that I did not have before, and I like it. And I think you're right that it is ambiguous in a nice way that is equally bleak for different reasons.
1: Yeah, and because you can you can have your cake and eat it too because you can choose which is like the better ending, and they're both bleak. They're both like they're still both like a horrible like thing to occur. I think I I, love that. I think
0: I should emphasize though that even in the reading of I think the more obvious reading of her. Not escaping the cave. Yeah. I don't think that's a cheap bait and switch. It is a bait and switch and they are overdone in film, no doubt. I think this one is handled very well. I think that having, like you said, like having the the final hallucination with the birthday cake as sort of the bridge between that is really good. Mm-hmm. And considering the fact that she is having Hallucinations throughout the rest of the film already. It doesn't feel like a Shyamalan like out of left field twist, you know, that just like feels tacked on at the end to surprise the viewer. It feels thematically cohesive. I really like that. Oh yeah, I think I think you you bring up a very interesting idea. I think
1: that there there is a way to do that that style of ending where it is there that is the only option, and she is still back in the horror, and she didn't actually leave like there are i think ways to do that that well but i think like as closely as it was done to that like i i i I feel like it would have been difficult to pull that off and
0: it's bleak but i think it also does possible it does have kind of like an interesting beauty to it because the way that she is so fixated upon that torch and the way that she sees it as her daughter with the birthday cake and that she is smiling and totally oblivious to the monsters and the darkness closing in around her that like even though she is about to die that she's kind of found peace before the end. And, oh okay yeah that's pretty nice. And you yeah. know like it's it's still it's still bleak like the way that we you know see the film end but I mean she's smiling. She has, you know, whether whether she has reason to or not, like there's something she'll be reunited. There's something there is something that has like she she has found like found peace and has become whole in a certain way. And I don't know. I think that that's it's it's like a a very nice, bittersweet, uh, bleak and bleak as fuck ending.
1: I'm into that. I'm into that. Like uh, it's uh, I'm reading into that. I think cool. i think well, you you make a good point it's
0: a great it's a great fucking movie where you can uh, have so many different readings of something like that yeah, and, and- it's a really rich
2: yeah subject material there's, for, there's for enough like, ambiguity, of
1: as yeah, it is like too. there's enough allegory there that like you can get academic about it with like the dark recesses in the caverns of your mind blah 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 like stuff but also you can just enjoy it as like a cool horror movie like with lots of like fucking awesome fight scenes you can take and it completely literally
0: if you wanted to oh and yeah just gonna be like cool, cool
1: cool cave horror movie and like have yeah the, have effects, a dandy time.
0: the effects are great there's not really i don't if there's any CG in this movie, like I didn't, I don't know if I spotted it. The practicals are great. Well, also, there is a lot
1: of compositing. You were saying,
0: yes. because yes. you, were, you were
2: looking into that. Um, a lot of the, the the initial cave scenes where they're descending into the the cave itself when they go into the open are composited in, and they are miniatures, which I found really Dope. interesting. It blew uh, my mind here. For out. example, even the the little waterfall that you get is not actually water. It's uh, salt and talcum powder. Awesome! Um, it so catches it, the light so much. Yeah, better, it yeah. catches the light, and then when it hits, it like disperses a little bit, just like water. Um, it's really clever, really, really, really clever. And I think it's a great example of CGI used well to enhance, yeah, uh, the, the the reality rather than creating it. Right. Um, it's
0: like the the effects themselves are practical, but they're put together digitally, and I think that that's like. The perfect way to do it. Like I'm a big fan of compositing when it's done well. Same. I mean, also, like, we haven't talked too much about like the gore in the movie. It's a pretty gory movie. Lots of good blood and like really nasty like wounds and such wounds and yeah, yeah Holly's bone coming out of her it's, leg. Yeah, and, you know what it
1: reminds me of is, like the the new Tomb Raider games, like that are like they just refer to them as like battery porn because yeah. it's just like so much just of like these like these characters just getting like just having the hell living hell beaten out. Of them, well,
0: it's like here, just you relate with. And so there's like this this like urgent feeling that comes with that. And I mean, it's it's tense for sure. Like, it's definitely anxiety inducing in the best way. Um, but also, like, I think that because that shit doesn't really start happening until like fully halfway through the film. It feels so much more earned by that point. It's not like the entire movie is like these people getting beat to shit and like torn apart. Yeah, it's it's never like problematic. Like it's always no, no, like, no, no, no.
1: You, like you you feel for the characters. It's it's a realism thing, and I, I think it's like anyone. It's but anyone it's can like get so much that.
0: so much of the horror yeah. in the first half is like psychological and environmental, and then just like. All of a sudden, like about halfway through the film, you throw monsters into the mix and it becomes like hyper violent and gory. And and it's always
1: to serve the purpose of like horrifying and shocking the viewer. Not not. It's never done for like the the enjoyment of gratuity. It's
0: not exploitative in many in any way. Thank you. That's the word. It's, It's definitely not that. Cool. Do you guys want to write? Yeah. I'll start since this was my pick. Yeah, I mean, I can gush about this movie ad nauseum. Uh, I love going back to it over and over and over again. I always feel like I'm finding new stuff, even just in this conversation. I think that I uh, realized some new things about the film that I hadn't before, thanks to y'all's astute readings. Totally. So, uh, yeah, I mean, my my one fucking nitpick is that little world building thing with the, the crawler in the wig and the pool of blood. And no matter how much I want to just ignore it, it takes me out of the film for about five minutes every time I watch it. And uh, so like otherwise uh, a perfect film, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five incredible film. Yeah. Well, I think
2: this movie is one of the all time best examples of claustrophobia in film. Um, It does such a great job of making you feel trapped. You know, I always have some tentative stuff about the crawlers just feeling a little superfluous to the true horror of being trapped, but it's handled so well that it's not really that much of a negative, even for me. Um, I think this is an incredible film. As we've discussed, it's a very rich film in terms of story. I'm going to give it a four and a half as well. It's definitely worth checking out, especially if you haven't seen it. Um, 15 years old
0: already at this point. Yeah, check this out
2: over uh, Neil Marshall's latest movie, Hellboy.
0: Christ! Oh. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that. We don't need. We don't to. need to. We, go we, we have a whole episode about yeah, it. Go listen to our episode on Hellboy <laughs> and see the the descent of Neil Marshall's career. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. Also, four point five
1: from me for all, really all the same reasons. Like there are several nitpicks, but they're largely just like my own personal taste. Um. Well, I mean, it always is, but with clear acknowledgement of that.
0: And uh, no, it has objective problems. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i can get that later, but uh, I I love this movie. I'll gladly watch it again uh, just to look for more spooky Nosferatu boys in the background. Four point five. Cool. Well, oh, and that one synth track that keeps going through it. Sorry, we talked about the sound design, but the score is great. It's extremely minimal, much like everything else about this film, and uh, just that one synth riff that just makes us it has just really feels like a you're you're falling into a cave.
0: It's very uh, John Carpenter. It's yes. got a kind of dun dun. a theme that goes throughout it. Um, Yeah, the the score is great. Uh, So that's an average of four and a half out of five pods for The Descent. This is our first... Unanimous rating in a good while, extremely long yeah. time. So, not like we've been very dramatically opposing each other too much recently. Just a point or but two. Uh, yeah, this is the first time we've been unanimous in a while.
1: I think that that's that's a very good thing because it means that we're we're not just like in a circle jerk, like echo chamber. Um, we I mean, we do bring our own that... things to the podcast, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. like you know, it's it's not all of us just like you know, like like agreeing with each other nonstop, which is generally boring. Right. Yeah, I think it's nice to have a disagreement. Opposing, point.
0: Disagreement is healthy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's it's fun too. Like I think we usually come to agreements by the end of our conversations. And even when we don't, I think that's that's totally dandy. Yeah.
2: Speaking well, of uh, uh, disagreements. We, yeah, we did some predictions uh for the invisible man. Oh yeah. Let's uh and the the numbers are now that. in, ladies so, and gentlemen. For Rotten Tomato score, uh you predicted a seventy three, Cleve you predicted wow. an eighty two, and I predicted a seventy.
1: Oh, I hope I hope it's mine. Just because I, I want the, I want the best for this movie. Well, you're in luck. It yes. was a ninety-one. Nice, Holy even shit. better. Good, yeah. good,
0: good. Deserves it. Awesome. Honestly, yes. I, was, oh, I was. I want this uh, movie to do,
1: do well so bad, so we can get more like it. I was like.
0: skeptical. Uh, I um, definitely lowballed. I, I th- low
1: balled as well. I
0: think I probably lowballed on box office as well. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, so TC said twenty-four million.
2: Uh, so uh, Cleavie predicted 8 million,
1: and I predicted 43 million. I love it. I gave it a high rating, but I, I didn't think it would do well in the box. Um, it did 28.2 million. Holy shit! Yes.
2: So yes. you were
0: pretty damn close. Good, I was um, close. I wish that was a little bit higher. <sighs> um, but honestly, I, I kind of wish you had won that one too, yes, Ben. Could, yeah, yes, like, be more, like, yeah. the more money it makes, the better. Yeah, but that's right. I, you know. I will take that point. Hey, that's and that's still not bad. No,
1: like yeah. that's that's yeah. not bad. I, I I don't know if it's like it's good like from an executive. Perspective, and that's well, what really this counts. movie was very cheap to make,
2: it was for, like five
0: or
1: six million
0: and to for make. A, so it made its money back. And for like a late February horror release, yeah. that was pretty good. Fantastic, numbers, yeah, for sure.
1: Good, good. Um, that means more
0: like it, excellent.
1: But yeah, that puts uh, everything uh, that, that puts,
2: puts you at three, tees okay, Cleave. You're at four, and I'm also at three. Okay, so it's a it's a it's a tight
0: competition Ooh. here. What were uh, what were our bonuses for this one? The our preliminary oh, sure. ratings. Uh, so, just in uh, case it comes down to that, I always like to know. I rated it four and a half. Yeah.
2: Yeah, four and a half. You predicted you would give it a four. Uh, Cleve, you predicted you would give it a five, and you did.
1: Hmm. And I
0: predicted wow,
2: really? I would give it. A three, and I gave
1: it a five. So (laughs) I I remember now, like I was, I was extremely hopeful for this movie, and I didn't, and I hadn't watched the trailer or anything. I just heard that like it was an Invisible Man movie starring Elizabeth Moss, and that that alone had me like thinking that there was like going to be like some quality elements to that movie,
0: and I'm. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, quality it was. Yeah. Uh, Go back and listen to our Invisible Man episode from last week if you didn't. Or watch the movie, if it's still in theaters, especially. I mean, it's definitely still in theaters. Go see it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. go check it out. Well, speaking of in theaters,
2: next week we are covering the very controversial film The Hunt, which is coming to theaters after Mm. being delayed by... 4 or 5 months, 6 months. Yeah, 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 6 months. It should be interesting. We'll go hunt those pores. Will Data. the hunt
0: be in a front? We did we did see a new trailer for it when we were in the theater for The Invisible Man and I must say, weirdly, I'm less excited about it now after this new trailer. Interesting. They're definitely like leaning bored, They're leaning into the controversy. They the trailer makes it seem way more jokey. Whereas, like, the last trailer, I thought it felt like a kind of dry satire. And now it just seems, like, more straight-up goofy. So I don't know. We'll see. It almost feels like it has its head up its ass a little bit. The, like, like, the dry
1: satire thing, like, has been done. And sure. it generally, like, but when it, it comes done, to, like, political well, stuff, like, cringy. So I'm I'm more keen on this movie being, like, over-the-top and wacky, considering the subject matter. Like, I think it's a safer, like you know probably more entertaining at least take and i don't want to be like annoyed about like political commentary and, and like a, a a horror movie well, for, for I th- an well i think we talked about this a
2: little bit when it originally got uh delayed the original title for the film was red state blue state right so oh knowing God, that yeah. i was never expecting too much subtle that's really. the, honestly that's beginning. a
0: fair point that's a fair um, point. we'll see i the That preview made it seem a little bit full of itself. Like, ooh, look at us! We're the most controversial movie in the world. Without
1: (laughs) knowing that like red state, blue state fact, like I, I will say like I felt the same way off the first trailer. You were really off put from no, I did. Yeah, I I did. I did not want to see it. I didn't want to cover on the podcast. Like, it's not the kind of subject that I would really want to. mm,
0: Yeah, well, I I have been excited
1: since the first trailer.
0: I think it's a really fun premise. I'm and, I'm very uh, intrigued. Yeah. So, I'm I'm curious, but check back in for our full thoughts next week once we've actually seen the movie. The last little bit of housekeeping that we have to do as always is we got to get paid. We got to get that bread. We got to get those shiny rocks. Cleveland who who's our sponsor for this week. This sponsored week Let's try that again. Two great <laughs> stars. This,
1: this episode is sponsored by the, the new hit track, uh, Pool of Blood, brought to you by the band The Crawler and the Wig, <laughs> which are two things you said earlier on the podcast that I thought would sound like a good... I mean, yeah, that's our sponsor. The track sounds amazing. What genre uh, is that? It is uh, a death metal uh, bluegrass fusion. Uh, hence, pool of blood, and it's it's crawler and the wig, like so. It's like it's like a panopticon situation. There's a lot of like banjos, like over like the sounds of like droning bass and like 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 wacky like like massive like like a uh, what's the the, like blast the term? Blast beats. Blast beats. That's the thing. It's exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, like like I want like banjos over blast beats.
0: I heard they recorded it <laughs> in it sounds yeah. like another amazing
2: <laughs> B.O.B. <laughs> banjos <laughs> over
1: blast beats.
0: I heard they recorded it in a cave <laughs> oh, yeah. too, which is uh the, the reverb is really nice. Oh, man, now <laughs> I just want <laughs> this to be a real song. Like It I is listening It listen is, it the is Cleveland. Yeah, of course, of They're course. sponsoring us this week. Yep. Go on to- Oh god, Spotify. the sponsor shelf the shelf is glowing, I don't like this. It's a the sponsor shelf is angry. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't know why, it's a totally real thing, sponsor shelf. I I I swear, please! No!
1: Not the light! The light <laughs>
0: Speaking of the light, you can head on over to (laughs) Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and light up the darkness by hitting five stars on this show. And also, while you're there, scroll some of your own cave paintings on the wall about why you love us and why you want to invite us to live in your house forever and ever (laughs) <laughs> um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Pod, Pod and over on letterbox.com slash Pod People where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show. With our average ratings and links to the corresponding episodes, uh, follow me on Twitter at DeepStateOzzy. I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets.
2: <laughs>
1: Whoa. Hey, guys. Uh, sorry, I don't know why I was inside the sponsor shelf. Wait, what's that pile of ash over there? Uh, don't worry about it. Anyway, uh hi, I'm uh Cleveland Mosier and you can find me on uh, uh Twitter occasionally tweeting for Light Arc Studio. Also, you can join our our It Stares Back Discord as well or check out our game um that we are currently working on and I kind of went around that from the back way, but you, that's you okay. Did it. You made I, it through I'm, it. Sorry guys, I'm covered in mucus. Almost I, in I don't one piece. I don't really know uh like what's going it on. I'm a little like disoriented. It, it um, has changed you forever. Sometimes
0: yeah. you gotta go in the back way that's why there's two entrances just like the cave in the descent
1: oh oh dear um i'm i'm so sorry uh you can also find my work
0: on ArtStation
1: uh as well uh you just search cleveland Mosier and check out some cool spooky sci-fi dark electric fantasy illustrations
0: and you can also buy prints if you want to they make great cave art thank you All right, well, uh, come back and hunt with us next week. But right now, I'm going to descend into this beer.